many of you have been having leftovers the past few days? Leftovers, some people say leftovers are better. Some food, Italian food's better second time around. Um, you know, chili, that kind of thing, because it, it percolates, simmers in the fridge. Well, maybe it's not simmering per se, but... Um, well, good, because uh, you're going to get leftovers this morning. So I'm going to do something I've never done before, and what it is is a review of 2019. I want to review what God has spoken to us from this pulpit over the past 12 months as we prepare to cross over into the new year 2020. And at the end, I'll share just a brief focus point in terms of our vision for 2020. But before I read out of Philippians 3, if you want to get ready, and share this quick review, let me say that all throughout the year 2019, I noticed and was keenly aware that the Holy Spirit was laying a very specific pattern in the messages, in the teaching, the preaching, and the messages that were coming across this pulpit. I could see that God was taking us somewhere. I could see there was a continuity uh, from week to week and from month to month in the things that the Lord was saying. And see this morning, if you don't notice that as I share this with you. Philippians chapter 3, just kind of as a, um, just sort of a focus verse as we look back on the year and look ahead to what's about to come. Uh, Philippians 3 verses 10 through 12. Paul writes, My aim is to know Him, to experience the power of His resurrection, and to share in His sufferings, and to be like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this, excuse me, that is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold. Everyone say, I strive to lay hold. I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. So Paul ends this exhortation by saying, I'm moving forward, forgetting what's behind, and I'm reaching out, striving to take hold of the purpose that God had in mind when he took hold of me. So I want you to know, first of all, that every single one of you, God has a that in your life, that you might take hold of that for which Christ took hold of you. There is a specific, not just a general purpose. We all walk with the Lord under a general purpose, but God has a specific life for each and every one of us. And Paul said, I want to lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. So having said that, let's take a look at 2019 in review. One of the things that I noticed is that the year began with a very specific theme, and then it ended back on that theme. There were two messages in the beginning of the year in January that gave focus to that theme, and they were they that wait upon the Lord and the message, the real prayer of Jabez. And those two themes, as I see it, I think continued throughout the year 
And then the Lord has touched on them now at the end of 2019 as we prepare to go into 2020. And those themes are faithfulness to Jesus, faithfulness to Him, and personal maturity. Personal maturity. And see if you don't see these themes in the messages right at the very beginning of the year. That first message was, They that wait upon the Lord. Taken from that popular scripture in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, where it says, But they that wait upon the Lord, or those that minister to the Lord. So you're not sitting passively with your hands in your pocket saying, Well, when God gets ready, I guess something will happen. <clears throat> but you are attending to Him, ministering to Him, worshiping, seeking Him. That's waiting on the Lord. So, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew or exchange their strength. They will mount up with the wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. And so that was our text. And the message really was basically that waiting on the Lord is turning to the Lord in your daily routine. How many of us um, go off, it may be, uh, it may be unintentional, but we get involved in our routine, jump into our day, we go off and we haven't waited on the Lord. And um, the day grabs you and pulls you into all of the busyness and you can feel it within yourself. I'm running in my own strength. I'm not, I'm not running in that supernatural joy and strength that the Lord could be giving me. So those that wait upon the Lord, what it really means is that they turn to the Lord in their routines of life and they exchange legs for wings. That's why he said you'll mount up with the wings as eagles. It's trading your depleted natural abilities for the Lord's divine ability. And by the way, as we begin on January 1st, our 21-day fast, and we'll talk about that at the end of the message, um, really fasting is waiting upon the Lord. It is with intention, deliberately waiting on the Lord because you're exchanging your natural weakness and natural dependencies for the spiritual strength that the Lord brings. So that theme was right there at the beginning of the year. And then along with it was that second message, the real prayer of Jabez. And Jabez appears in the Bible in one verse. And it's, it's uh, in the Old Testament, it says, Jabez prayed and called out to God and said, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. And that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So, years ago when the prayer of Jabez just blew up, and all around the world, I think everybody had a little copy of that book, The Prayer of Jabez. The entire theme that the body of Christ latched onto was, God wants to enlarge me, God wants to expand me. But... At the beginning of last year, when we brought this message, the Lord brought out through that message that uh, the prayer of Jabez wasn't about God making him bigger, but God making him better. And the reason I say that is that the word Jabez or the name Jabez literally means he causes pain. So I don't know if his mother had a rough childbirth and, and named him, but his name was Painbringer. And so often, as is the case, throughout his life, for one, whatever reason, we're not told anything about his life, he was concerned that he didn't want to bring pain to other people. And what a wonderful sense of responsibility in life 
to have an attitude, Lord, help me not to cause other people to stumble. Help me not to bring pain to others. You know, he could have prayed, oh, Lord, I don't want anybody offending me. But his prayer was, Lord, don't let me offend anybody. I see that really as, as the real true impact of the cross of Christ upon our life. You know, most people go through life, Lord, don't let anybody offend me. Don't let anyone hurt me. We're very protective of our heart, very protective. But the prayer of Jabez really brings an elevated vision, and that is that of personal responsibility. God wants us to go through life, trust our well-being to Him, not running around, guarding, protecting ourselves, defending ourselves, on guard, ready to straighten out anybody if they bring pain to us. But instead, Lord, getting up every day, keep me from being a fool. Keep me from hurting other people. Keep me, Lord, from, from causing other people to stumble and bringing shame to your name. Keep me, Lord, is a prayer of maturity. And so that's what he was praying is that God would keep him from hurting others, not... Lord, keep me from being hurt. And you could see God's calling us at the beginning of the year to a higher standard. At the end of January in, in uh, this, this year when we began, those two messages and those two themes came forth. And then the rest of the year, right up to the end of the year, was basically filled with three series of messages. In this year, there were really three messages that went from February up to November. And all three messages dealt with the issue of management. They were managing our relationship with the Lord through the series, the four F's. Managing our worship of the Lord through the series, Praise and Worship. And then rounding out from the summer up into the fall was managing our faith in the Lord through the messages of the blood covenant. And I just want to touch on these three series and remind you of what the heart of these messages were because God is most certainly putting a theme before us and He doesn't want us to run out of this year and forget and leave behind what He has spoken to us because we're going to build in 2020 if we're obedient to the Lord on what He has told us in 2019. Does that make sense? So the four F's, the keys to deliberate living, the four F's, the four keys of fellowship, focus, function, and fruit are a divine pattern of practices that form the way that we walk with God. It's basically a a, a series, a 14-part series about how to take the Word of God in the Bible and see the pattern of God from Genesis to Revelation because there is most definitely a pattern of these four practices. If you apply them to your life, you will not only have a successful and fruitful life, but you'll go through your life in fellowship with God and your life will be meaningful. Fellowship, focus, function, and fruit are based on the fact that the blessings of God are not magic. They're a matter of discipline. Just because God said He wants to bless you, there are millions of people who are professing Christians who live short of those blessings. 
The blessings of God are not arbitrary. They're not magic. They're not whimsical. They don't happen for some mystical, arbitrary reason. They are very specific. And God is leaning forward into the earth with his hand outstretched, willing to bless, willing to lift us up, willing to break through into our circumstance and help us. But that state of blessedness that God wants to bring you to comes through discipline. And that's what the four F's are all about. If you really want to see a higher degree of God's operation in your life and His blessing upon your life, and I'm not talking about your life being free of trials or being free of difficulties. Trials are going to come. Did Jesus have a difficult free life? Did the Apostle Paul, any of the Christians in the Bible? You know, and the Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But... The fact of the matter is, is that through all of those things, the Lord desires to lift us up. That we shouldn't be going on month after month, year after year, without the breakthroughs that God has promised. So if we're not seeing it, we go back to the basics of the four F's. Am I walking in fellowship, focus, function, and fruit? Is that pattern something I'm practicing in my life? And so that 14-part series was there from, from February to June. We got halfway into the year before we finished that series. And then in June, at the end of June, we began the second series of messages on praise and worship. And those messages were about learning management also, how to manage your worship of God. Because worshiping God is a stewardship. It's a responsibility. It's wonderful but it's not something we do out of gratitude or when we feel happy or when things are going our way. The reality is, as we shared in this six-part message on praise and worship, that true praise and worship is based in the worship of God more than the condition of the worshiper. Real worship will praise God for His worthiness above your personal reasons. Whatever those reasons are that prompt you to want to worship or the lack of reasons to worship God, worship is an act of obedience and acknowledging the worship of God. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, true praise and worship really depends on your will more than it does your condition. But unfortunately, most Christians praise God and worship God conditionally. When their conditions are right, they'll worship God. But let those conditions be a little off, and it's really hard. They do, many Christians don't know how to praise the Lord by faith. They'll not worship God out of obedience. But the highest praise and highest worship you can give to the Lord is to worship Him because your eye is on His worthiness in spite of the circumstances that seem to be on you and dragging you down. So because true praise and worship depends upon your will and not your condition, whatever dominates your will is going to control your worship. And so you can look at your own life. We can see this in people's lives. It is a pattern. It's like math. Two plus two equals four. When people aren't or can't worship God, the problem is always their will. It never 
has anything to do with externals. It's always a matter of the heart. You know, the popular trend over the past maybe couple decades, but certainly the past 10 years, popular trend of praise and worship um, has elevated its prominence above preaching the Word of God in many cases and in many churches. And so there's a negative consequence to elevating praise and worship above the Word. And that negative consequence is that the worshipers begin relying on the style of praise and worship music for their personal therapy rather than using it as an opportunity to give their worship to the Lord. They can't give their worship to the Lord unless it's country music. Or they can't give their worship to the Lord unless it's old-time hymns. Or they can't give their... So there's nothing wrong with having our own proclivities and interests and you know, I've traveled around the world, many of you have been around, and you know that when you go to different cultures, those cultures take on the flavor, the flavor of those cultures is the, the way. I remember being in a Presbyterian church back in the uh, uh, mid-80s in uh, some West African country and went there in the evening, and we got in just kind of in time, and it was a rather large church, and they were all snapping their fingers. They didn't clap, they didn't do much of anything else, but they sang and they all snapped, and it was some serious finger snapping going on. Uh, it was powerful. I mean, I never realized that finger snapping could be so loud. But they did it with every single song, and I thought, well, this is cool. Um, I, I think how odd somebody would appear if they were in a church here in America and everyone's clapping and somebody's going like this. You think, okay, groovy. Um, so we all have our different cultural affiliations, but that series was all about trying to lift us above those things to realize that worship is owed to God. And the style of praise and worship or the quality of the praise and worship music or the snapping of the fingers or anything else really should have nothing to do with whether it is simply this, an opportunity for you to give what you owe to God to Him. And you know, there is a basic principle as I go to the finish this, this commentary on that series of praise and worship. There's a simple fix, a solution to this problem that we find today in uh, uh, it rising in the, in the churches because of the prominence of praise and worship. These people worship their worship. People are, are praising, praise and worship. And the fix to the problem is to have the attitude that King David had. When <clears throat> the Bible says that King David made the statement when, a, when one of his subjects wanted to offer him a, um, the, a bull and all of the wood to build an altar and offer that offering to the Lord. And because David was the king and had done so much, David said he refused the man's name was Arana. He, he refused him and he said, God forbid that I should offer the Lord anything that doesn't cost me something. And so that, that would clear up a lot of our problems with praise and worship. He said, I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So at the very minimum, our praise and worship should be at the expense of our will. 
It should cost us our proclivities. It should cost us our reluctance. It should cost us any inconvenience. We worship God as we step above those things, demonstrating true worship because He is worthy. And show me a church that'll take hold of that principle, truly, and I'll show you a church that's beginning to go from baby state into adulthood, beginning to realize the mature attitude. And that's a congregation that is about to start moving with God. Can you say amen? So I could see as God was unfolding the year, how he was staying with this theme and moving it along. And finally, our last series that took us right up through into November was that awesome series, The Blood Covenant. Some of you came to me and said, don't ever stop preaching on that. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try to get it into everything I preach because it's from Genesis to Revelation. It is the revelation of the context of the Bible. The blood covenant, in the most simple terms, was simply God bringing together two parties to create a third new party. And so the blood covenant brings together the two parties of God and man, bringing them together into an irrevocable oneness that brought Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, representing both parties, brings Jesus, man and God, consolidated in one, into the world, and then he is offered up as the Lamb of God, rises from the dead to reign over the new creation, the sons and daughters that have come into the kingdom of God through him. And that blood covenant just will make your head spin. It is so full of awesome revelation. And so that blood covenant, again, a 14-part series explained how Jesus came into the world as our Savior and made us God's children. And I'll say one other thing about it. In Ezekiel 16, it says, I will establish my covenant with you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Let me say that again. Catch what, what God is saying. I will establish my covenant with you, and then you will know, you will understand that I am the Lord. You see, the blood covenant is how God speaks to us. It's through the blood covenant that he talks to us. It's through the blood covenant that he explains himself. And it is through the blood covenant that we respond to him. When people do not grasp the basics of the blood covenant, they will always have a hard time hearing God, even when they're sitting there reading the scriptures. It'll just seem like a, a bunch of disconnected truths and they'll lack the big picture. The blood covenant brings the revelation of the big, the big picture. It reveals God's intention. God talks through the blood covenant. It reveals what he has done for us, what he wants to do for us, and our position in him. And so when you begin to understand the terms of the blood covenant, and you talk to God through the blood covenant, and you act on the terms of the blood covenant, then you will move God. You will move God. You will see God move in your prayers. Now we've come to the end of this year. And as we rounded the corner from the end of November into December, once again, there were two messages. Now this was not all pre-planned by me. I just happened to look in retrospect and notice this pattern. Now I had a sense of it throughout the years and I knew God was stringing together a word for us. 
But in review and looking back on it, because I, I like to look back, where has God brought us? As I was looking back and measuring, I could see that pattern was so clear. And at the end of the year, God goes right back to what he began the year with, faithfulness to him and personal maturity. I could see that that was important to the Father, that the Father wanted us to, to hear that word, faithfulness to him and personal maturity, the desire to grow, the desire to be a better man tomorrow than you were today. You might be 90 years old, but do you have a vision of being a better person at 91 than you were at 90? You know, people get past 19, they quit. They've done all the growing, they're going to grow. And so, faithfulness to the Lord and the desire to grow and to mature and to be a better person. And once again, like I said, there were two messages that just nailed those themes as we now prepare to go into this new year. And they were one called the adult prayer. How many of you remember that message? The adult prayer. And the other one was just a couple weeks ago, the two streams. And I just touch on them. The adult prayer was about the primary responsibility of every Christian to mature in Christ. I've already commented on it. But that scripture that we opened up with in Philippians chapter 2, notice how uh, Paul said, that I may know him. That word know, epignosis, means that I might experientially know him. Not just know about him or I read about him on Facebook, but I have an interactive personal experience with the Lord. So here's the Apostle Paul, brilliant man, studied, God's given him great revelation, and at whatever point in his life, and he had been in ministry many years at this point, when he writes Philippians, he's still saying, oh, that I might know him. So you can see him, he's reaching out to know the Lord in a deeper, more intimate way. He wants to experience the Lord and know him through experiencing him. And so he says, oh, that I may know him and be like him. Not everybody that wants to know the Lord wants to necessarily take the next step and God to put them on the potter's wheel and begin to mold them so that they're like him. It's easy to know the Lord. It's hard to be like him. But Paul says, I not only want to know him, I want to be like him. And then he doesn't stop there, but he says, and um, I want to, I want to fellow, know the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, I always kind of winced at that, and I'm not going to even try to lie about it. I always sort of back and said, well, I don't know that I want to be, know the fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus went through some terrible suffering. But, yes, that day that he was crucified, he went through a very unique, horrible suffering that was unique to the Lamb of God. But throughout his entire ministry, Jesus suffered constant berating and insults and the devil constantly trying to draw him into strife. And he passed up every one of those opportunities and just walked in perfect love and wisdom. And so when Paul says, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings, he's saying, I want to be like him so that the suffering I go through in life will have meaning. It'll have purpose. It'll be suffering that has arisen 
because I'm walking in the character of Christ instead of my own big fool self brought this on me. You know, we all bring suffering on ourselves through the fool way that we act. All of us, me, every one of us, we do that. We know what that's like. There's no glory in that. If you, the Bible says, if you endure suffering because you have brought it on yourself, you have no glory. That's exactly what it says. Every Christian today that's being told from, from, from pulpits uh, that are seeking to massage the believers and make them feel loved and accepted in Christ. Listen, the Holy Spirit's been given to us and the comfort of the Scripture so that we can be loved. God is capable of loving His own people. But it's such a shame that we give people the idea that when they have, when they're burnt up and burns are horrible wounds, but they've set their own fires, that we tell them somehow there's some glory attached to that. There is no glory. The fool set himself on fire. And when I'm the fool that sets myself on fire, I don't expect my wife. I don't, now, I don't mind a little sympathy, especially if I'm repenting. I don't mind somebody encouraging me, you'll do better next time. But we don't get rewards for fouling up. We don't get rewards for doing nothing. Do you understand? Christianity is not like political correctness. You get rewarded for obedience. You don't get rewarded for disobedience or for just being carnal. And so this message, the adult prayer, is a tough message. It's a, it's a wake-up message, really. And it's also a message that cuts directly across the grain of the culture of today's society. But there's wonderful joy in it. Because if God is saying, grow up and stop being childish, that means you can grow up. There is not a single person walking the face of the earth that cannot be mature in Christ and grow up from where they're at in Him. So I love this message because it gives me hope. People respond to a challenge. And, and I believe God is putting a challenge before us. If you really want to get the best out of your life, let yourself be challenged. Be challenged by the challenge of God. Praise the Lord. And then the final message was the two streams. Now that was a unique message. And the two streams are a message. The message of the two streams looks ahead in the Bible to the time that Paul warned about called the apostasy or the falling away in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. When the church would be split into two streams because of this apostasy and this falling away that would take place. And that the Antichrist could not arrive and the rapture of the church and all those things could not even begin to take place until first this falling away from the faith, this apostasy were to take place in the church. And so the message, the two streams, is all about that split in the church that occurs because there's groups that begin to become bored with the Bible, bored with the Scriptures. They start twisting them, and they begin to devalue the Word of God in favor of the uh, trends of society around them. And so 
foreseeing that great defection from the faith, the book of Revelation proclaimed, and we use this uh, out of Revelation 12 when we were sharing, Revelation 12 looks ahead to that falling away and makes one of the weirdest prophetic statements in the Bible. If you've read it before, surely you must have been scratching your head saying, what could God be talking about? This is it. Let he that is filthy remain filthy, and let he that is righteous remain righteous. Let he that's doing evil continue to do evil, and let he that is walking upright continue to walk upright. I remember many, many years ago seeing that verse, and I realized immediately there's going to come a point in time, there's going to come a point in history where people have made their choice, and the paths are clear. And this message, The Two Streams, is all about that. All about the fact that the kind of jumping back and forth that the church has experienced over the centuries, over the many decades and centuries since, since Christ rose from the dead, um, has not suffered the terrible consequences that it could. But a time is coming when when you jump out of the Word of God and you jump into the world, you're not going to be able to jump back. And you won't want to. Because in 2 Thessalonians, God said, when that happens, those who did not receive the love of the truth, who didn't love God's word, got bored with it, God said, I will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie who had pleasure in unrighteousness and turned away from the truth. And so we see that beginning emergence of that left stream breaking off within the confines of Christianity. The falling away from the faith isn't the falling away from going to church or isn't the falling away of the concept of church. It is the division of the stream of Christianity into two streams, the right stream and a left stream. And that left stream is, has broken off at the point where they are offended by those scriptures because the word of God is in conflict with the emerging celebration of sin that is indicative of political correctness and of our society today. And so we see whole sections in churches that are beginning to peel off and become selective about their adherence to the scripture and use and twist the scripture to support the new humanistic gospel of political correctness rather than letting the word of God be Lord over our life. So that message, the two streams, was absolutely a call to maturity. And really, the exhortation to you and I is stay on track, stay with prayer, stay with the word of God. This is not a time to get bored with the word because there's a strong spirit of delusion out there in the world pulling on whoever will begin to open themselves to it. And you know, I know that most believers think, well, I would never become deceived. I would never fall away. But I think that whole left stream is going to be filled with people who once said that about themselves and then there they are. The enemies of the cross of Christ. And so stay with the word and let God be Lord of the word. I, I've only got a couple of minutes. I promised Kathy 
I would absolutely cut you guys loose. You would be out here at 1130 because I know some of you got to go home and do a little bit of food preparation before that fellowship at 1.30. So here is our vision for 2020 going ahead. The theme the Lord gave me, and this is all sort of um, made available in this sheet, uh, the vision for our 21-day fast. And that 21-day fast is basically to get, gives us 21 days to, to buckle down and get serious with God about these things and lay hold of the Lord. And uh, we lay hold of the Lord. Guess what happens? God lays hold of us. God lays hold of us. So if you get that and just make sure you take a copy home. We have plenty of extra ones if you think you might have misplaced it at home. Our, our, our vision for 2020 is getting up to speed. I preached that about once or twice this past year. Getting up to speed with God like a train is moving along. As it comes by you, it's, it's moving fast enough that you could catch it if you had to, but it's not stopping. You've got to jump on board, so you've got to run and get up to speed with that thing and get on board. So God is moving like that train, and you need to get up to speed and get on board with what the Lord's saying. And I added the word together. Get up to speed together. The Lord is emphasizing the body. So... The Lord spoke to me three words, and I'm going to give them to you. These are three words that define how we are going to get up to speed together. They are the words maturity, order, and bonding. Maturity, we've talked about. Basically, if I could just distill it down, I would say it's choosing the better part. Martha and Mary, Jesus comes to the house Mary's running around, banging pots and pans, trying to get the chili ready. And then she just gets angry because Martha's sitting there at Jesus' feet. You know the story. Mary, she says, well, how come, how come you're letting her sit here? She should be helping. And Jesus said, Mary's chosen the better part that cannot be taken away from her. So maturity is recognizing, choose the better part this year. In your life this year, let this stick in your mind. Am I choosing the better part? Choose the better part. The second word the Lord gave me was the word order. God is a God of order. The universe is in order. Nature is in order. And God, the Bible says, upholds the universe by the word of his power. God is a God of order. So the Lord is saying order for us. And basically, I think that just distills down to this. Declutter your life from the weights and sins that so easily beset you. This year, what are the little habits? What are the little things in your life that are like little vines around your feet that are hindering and tripping up your forward progress in God? Decide this year. Decide during this 21-day fast, I'm going to declutter my life. I'm going to mature and choose the better part, and I'm going to clean out the closet and declutter my life. And finally, the third one, I love this. Uh, this is my favorite, bonding, bonding. The Lord is saying he wants you to bond with the things that bring blessing in your life. And I'll tell you what those things are. Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. We are called the body of Christ for a reason. 
because the Lord is in the midst of the churches. Do you realize in the first chapter of the book of Revelation when the vision of Jesus finally shows up and, and John sees the vision of Jesus? The Bible says he is standing in the midst of a candelabra, seven candlesticks representing the seven churches of Asia. In other words, Jesus is in the midst of the church. He's in the midst of fellowship. The Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. And so believers that put fellowship with God's people on the back burner, they make it incidental, it's not a priority in their life. The Lord says, if you want blessing in your life, bond with the thing that produces blessing. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It says, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. So, you know, you can run around and ignore that bond and try to get God to bless you. Or you could just simply embrace the fellowship of the body of Christ. Make it a priority in your life and there's a commanded blessing already there you'd have to try to get rid of it to keep from being blessed. Can you say amen? Okay, let's do this. That's simply my, my message as I review this past year. You can see that there are some streams the Lord is talking about. As we prepare to go into this year, He wants us to um, get up to speed together in unity. Well, The fast that we're going on, let me just share a couple of practical things with you. In previous years, many of us literally fasted just water or liquids for 21 days. And we always gave people the option, just fast whatever the Lord puts on your heart. It could be a partial fast, an occasional fast. In other words, I'll fast on Tuesdays or Thursdays. or We let people sort of make their choice. I'm going to be even a little more specific this year because I really feel like this year it's, it's not the going without food in this fast that's the most important thing. I think it's the proactive and intentional bonding in fellowship. So it's, 